Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646 716 4972. Now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you here. It's December 7th, and I was talking to Alice earlier this week. She was talking about how much snow they have. So we'll get a snow report, and we'll also be getting a a legislative update later on the podcast. So good to have you joining us. Hope it's nice wherever you're at. We've had cold temperatures here in Central Texas. Got some sun going, so hopefully it'll warm up a bit. But got the Christmas lights up in the house, and it's starting to look a lot like Christmas. Okay, we'll keep on with the podcast. So it's good to have you with us. This podcast is created by Morgan professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. We're so grateful to have you as our listener. As we say each week, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. Today, we've got Tom Gallucci with us on a pre-recorded basis. Tom is the Vice President of Business Development for the Mortgage Collaborative. We're pleased to be members of the Mortgage Collaborative. Make sure to stay tuned to the Hot Topic segment. Also, we're proud to be a part of the MortgageMedia.com and Industriesyndicate.com. Hey, news update. Just heard from Black Knight, Mitch Cohen, yes. the Director of Public Relations, sent us an update late last week about the forbearance numbers, especially when you're thinking about last week's podcast where we had Cindy Danko on. Be sure to check out last week's podcast, talking about how servicers are responding to this. The good news is there's been a modest decline in the number of active forbearance plans this week, and most likely it was driven in part by the uh, 200,000 forbearance plan expirations that are scheduled at the end of November. But overall, for Forbearances are now down 91,000 or down 3.2% month over month. 81% of the forbearances still active have had their terms extended at some point since March. So good information. Go check out the report. We'll put a link to that report in our show notes. Check it out. Grateful for that information from our friends at Black Knight. Mitch Cohn, thank you so much. Also, a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Go check out Marina Walsh's podcast from September 4th. 14th, as well as Finaster, whose Fusion Mortgage Bot solution is a great tool. It's housed in the cloud and borrowers have flexibility to complete the application through one channel or move seamlessly into other channels based on their needs and preferences. I was on a webinar last week and listening to the vision of Finaster and some of the things they're doing. There's a lot of innovation going on in the industry, certainly a lot going on at Finaster. Be sure to check it out at Finaster, F-I-N-A-S-T-R-A.com and check out the Fusion Mortgage Bot. Also, Steve Hope was on August 24th. Go back and listen to that podcast. Also, Lenders One, we had Justin Demolion, June 1st, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative. Please have them on this week. Tom Gallucci, as well as the Community Mortgage Lenders of America. On September 21st, we had Michael Jones talking about the vision of Community Mortgage Lenders. Go back and check that out. As well as Indicom supports every stage of the mortgage development. August 31st, we had Linda Bomar there at Indicom. Everyone is growing. If you're in third-party business, it is crazy the amount of growth that's happened in this industry, and we don't see the growth slowing down. Uh, I'm going to have Mike Pratt and Tony come on here talk about the forecast for 2021 here soon, as well as Les Parker talking about some of our regulars come on and talk about what we could see for the new year. One of the things that's clear, though, is how you're connecting with consumers is really important. Accelerate has a great leading-edge technology that has got some pre-designed campaigns that allow you to really to connect effectively. That also is the case for our friends at Velma. Be sure to check them 
Paramount, as well as AI Assist, as well as Ainsworth Advisors, Celebrity Home Loans, Innovient. Ted Kramer and their team does a great job of optimizing your pricing and mortgage executions to get the maximum return out of your dollars. So anyway, check out Mobility RE, Modex. Both of these companies are helping you recruit with transparency, as well as VendorSurf, Vidyard. So good to have all of them as sponsors. Check out all of our sponsors on our sponsorship page. Also, special thank you to Alice, Alan, and Matt for their contributions each and every week. Let's get over to Rob Van Raphorst with this week's Mortgage Minute. Rob? Hi, I'm Rob Van Rappos. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell appeared before the Senate Banking Committee and the House Financial Services Committee as part of their quarterly CARES Act updates. In both hearings, Mnuchin addressed the future of the GSEs and stressed that they should not be released from conservatorship until each has sufficient capital. Also on Wednesday, HUD announced FHA's forward mortgage loan limits and reverse mortgage maximum claim amount limits for 2021. The new loan limits will be effective for case numbers assigned on after January 1st, 2021 through December 31st, 2021. And finally, last Thursday, FSOC released its 2020 annual report on the status of the financial system. This report, which covers a wide array of markets, products, and institutions, also provides financial regulators views on risks and vulnerabilities, as well as recommendations to address these concerns. That's it for now. Thanks for joining me. Having record funding volumes going through as we head into 2021. Those are up. Great information. The FSOC, got to go check that out. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate you doing that each and every week and getting that over to us. Be sure to sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance app at the MBA website. You do not have to be a member of the MBA to have your voice heard through the Mortgage Action Alliance, but you sure should. Absolutely be a member of the MBA. Sign up. Also, Les Parker is here with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the market. What do you got for us, Les? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. Don't let your hedge go. Because every hedger tries. Will the bears finally push above 1% in the 10-year yield? If so, will they stumble at 1.05 or rumble to 129? The weak dollar underpins the treasury bear market. Mortgage bankers live in phony Nirvana. With the government owning the GSEs and Fed supporting the MBS market, phony is real when it generates lots of cash. But who survives beyond 2020? Those that scale underwriting and connections with all stakeholders. Meanwhile, hedge on. Hedge on. These views are my own. Want more? Go to tmspotlight.com. Yeah, good advice. Hedge on, hedge on. Love that. And Les Parker, go check out TM Spotlight. Subscribe to his free newsletter. You can get the paid version if you put the word power into the place on the website where it asks for the discount code. So anyway, Matt Graham here is founder and CEO of mbslive.net. I love this service, Matt. It's on always right behind me. What's going on in the markets? Hey, Dave, how's it going? Good. Market, a very interesting week last week. Lots to talk about, lots of ground to cover, and some misdirection plays and smoke and mirrors here and there as well. And big risks coming up ahead. Less mentioned 10-year yields going higher. Where are they going to stop? And to offer an additional take or a slightly different take on the driving force and just 
something that I think everybody needs to be aware of right now to hear the average trade desk and bond market analyst say their piece on it. Markets are really planning on a relatively COVID-free economy by the end of 2021. And we really need to be sensitive to the possibility that we're witnessing a big rotation in risk where money is moving out of bonds and into stocks, even though the Fed is continuing to buy. But that's why we're not up closer to 2%. So the Fed will continue to buy until things get so good that they have to reconsider. But that's the direction that rates are going. Now, we're going to talk in a moment about how mortgage rates are disconnected from 10-year yields to a much greater extent than normal, but it's worth being in tune to the risk or just the reality that we could be coping with a rising rate environment at some point soon. And that's really almost always going to be the case after you've spent almost two straight years moving significantly lower in rate, holding yep. near all-time lows for a while, making successive runs at new all-time lows. And there's more gas left in the tank as far as mortgage rates are concerned. But if we're looking at trends in rates based on treasuries, which is what you want to do, even if you're an MBS guy, then it makes sense to be defensive. You can be hopeful, you can be tactical, you can make shorter term decisions, but getting right into it now, since I just blew two minutes talking about that, let's recap last week real quick. Last week, bond yields jumped, not on Monday, but on Tuesday. Monday, bonds' hands were tied due to month-end trading considerations. And as always, if you encounter a term that I say here on the show that you're unfamiliar with, check it out on MBS Live. You can type in pretty much any search term into the little magnifying glass and bring up a knowledge base entry. So month-end trading is one of those. Tuesday is when things really started to get crazy. Stimulus headlines right out of the gate, new bipartisan bill, and bonds were eagerly willing to react to that. We also have to consider, quote unquote, new month trading. So to whatever extent month-end trading had restrained bonds on Monday, now they were free to roam about the cabin on Tuesday. Trading positions flowed in both in favor of stocks and against bonds. Big move in European bond markets and especially in UK 10-year yields relating to Brexit headlines. So Brexit is back in play, actually. Uh -oh. And uh, it was yet again this morning. I'm not following the news as closely as I did in 2016, but things are up in the air. <laughs> Brexit did give a boost to yield on Tuesday, but mainly stimulus stuff. Then we drifted for two days and then Friday came and Friday brought your friend and mine non-farm payrolls. Always the biggest consideration for the bond market on any given month. If you had to pick a piece of economic data, that is. NFP, non-farm payrolls, 245,000 payrolls. That wow. on any other year at any other time, that's stellar. It's outstanding. Wonderful job growth. But last week for the month of November, that was terrible. And the reason it was terrible is because it leaves us still about 10 million jobs short of where we were before COVID. Now we could hypothesize that some of those jobs will eventually return. And even if we are worried about permanent job destruction, there's going to be a new economy on the other side of COVID and maybe new jobs will emerge from that. So we don't really know what that's going to look like yet. We just know that job growth after the initial catastrophic lockdown related drop earlier in 2020 has leveled off perhaps a little bit sooner than some people would have hoped. And to whatever extent somebody would want to point to the lower unemployment rate and say that was good, 
because it did drop to 6.7 from 6.9, they should also know that the labor force participation rate dropped by the same amount. All that means is that if somebody hasn't looked for a job in the past four weeks, then they're no longer counted as part of the labor force and not adding to the unemployment rate. So it can make that U3 unemployment rate a bit misleading. And I think in terms of actual worker count of people that were employed, we lost employment. Unemployment didn't really go down. Wages went up. People could point to that as a positive, but wages should be going up because the people that can still work from home are generally higher income earners anyway. And so it's not a surprise to be seeing wages go up. So anyway, NFP, much weaker than expected. And what's that supposed to do to rates? Weaker jobs supposed to make rates go down, yet yield spiked significantly on Friday. And I'll tell you why. It has to do with stimulus. So lawmakers are maybe going to put together a deal before the new year. And to whatever extent that was a possibility, it becomes more of a probability after seeing such a weak jobs report. And bonds do not like stimulus because stimulus will be paid for by treasury issuance, higher supply, lower demand, lower prices, higher yields. So that's supply, demand, one-on-one, and treasuries in 10 seconds. We have treasury auctions this week, three-year, 10-year, 30-year. That's the more impactful cycle as far as how markets might react. MBA, as always, will release their application numbers on Wednesday, and we'll also get wholesale inventories, a lower shelf report in terms of market moving power. CPI, Consumer Price Index, inflation forecast to stay the same at 1.6 at the core level on Thursday, and jobless claims should be about 725 versus 712 last time. Friday, we get producer prices, uh, another inflation metric at the wholesale level, not a big market mover. Consumer sentiment should stay pretty close to home at 76 and change. Much more important than all that, we'll be waiting on more stimulus headlines. We had some more this morning. Uh, We had some more Brexit headlines this morning. Brexit was helpful today, whereas it hurt last week. And uh, stimulus remains to be seen. It seems that there is potentially a stopgap government funding bill for a very short term that will allow them to put together an omnibus bill that does government funding and COVID stimulus. It's not going to be as big as the Democrats want it to be, and it's going to be bigger than the Republicans want it to be, but it is probably going to be about the size that the bond market thinks it's going to be. Doesn't mean it's priced in, however. Bonds want to see whether or not it is actually going to happen before the new year. And they really want to see whether or not it's going to happen before next week. Because if it happens before next week, we have the Fed coming up on Wednesday of next week. And if the Fed sees a stimulus package come through before then, they are much less likely to offer any additional accommodation in next week's meeting. And really, the most likely way they would do that would be by tweaking the duration profile of their bond buying portfolio. In other words, they would buy more longer term debt with the money they're already spending. That would generally help interest rates, the ones that we care about, move lower or stay as low as they are. So bottom line, even though stimulus is going to happen, it still is of high consequence to the bond market to know when it's going to happen because it is of high consequence to the Fed's reaction function in next week's meeting. Last caveat, we're talking a lot about treasuries here and MBS and then mortgage rates are two steps disconnected from treasuries. In a 
very big way. Lender margins are so big and MBS outperformance has been so big that uh, mortgage rates can weather a fair amount of drama in treasuries before they would necessarily need to respond. In fact, we've seen just uncanny stability in mortgage rates relative to treasury volatility. No reason to expect that won't continue a little bit. At some point, there will be a reckoning, but we're not there yet. And I can tell you for sure, we will at least have a couple more podcasts to discuss that. So you'll have ample warning before that reckoning shows up. So it's a really interesting relationship to the bonds, mortgage interest rates. So you covered that. Good job. Good report. Appreciate it. Very, very much. Thank you. Have a great week. Yeah, you too, friend. If you want to check out everybody, the best service for managing and looking at what's going on with interest rates, be sure to check out mbslive.net. And when you're signing up, use the LOL for looking on lending as a sign-up code and you'll get an extended free trial. Matt, appreciate you so much. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. Alice Alvey's up there in snow country. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, at least in your neck of the woods. So- yeah. Hi, everyone. Yes, we did get about 15 inches. Some folks got over 20. So yeah, we got a lot. Today, I'm just going to give folks an update on, if you recall, the CFPB had a request for information just an RFI, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, and the comment period just closed. The Mortgage Bankers Association just published their response so we could see what they posted. And I've been looking at the other comments that have been posted. It's interesting that it's such a big regulation, and it's an old regulation that has a lot of moving parts. Literally everything we touch in mortgage banking relates back to ECO in one way, either by connecting it also through fair housing, but also it has a ripple effect into Humda reporting as well. So there were 149 entities who had commented. All the main agencies jumped in and commented. I just wanted to give folks a little bit of the background on how critical this piece of look into ECOA is, that we really do need some attention to it because it's such an older regulation. There are some things that have changed in the industry that the regulation needs to get up to speed with. But one of the main things that's in terms that everyone should get familiar with is the term limited English proficiency, and we use the acronym LEP. So we We have 65 million people in the United States speak a language other than English at home. This is across the country. We have millions of people who do speak another language other than English. And the data that the NBA put in was that the 2018 census data showed that 67.3 million people in at home speak that language, which comes out to about 22% of the U.S. population. So what we're stuck with as lenders today is our understanding is if I'm going to take an application, for example, in any other language, just pick one, if I were to say Spanish, then I would need to offer those services all the way through servicing in Spanish. It's not that I can just open the door for the client, take their application, do my best to accommodate them through closing. And that usually is what brings lenders to a halt in even being able to accommodate this because you you have to accomplish so much. And I think that's the second thing we're looking at. Okay, I need translation services to be able to accommodate an extra language or more within my servicing platform. Can I use something like Google Translate or do I have to hire third-party translators? And, And then there's fees associated with it. So can I charge a borrower a fee or is that unfair treatment? to charge them because 
they don't speak English as their first language. So this is a real important piece of legislation. Now that there's the technology to help us get through language barriers a lot faster. So there's the whole language component to make sure we understand what are the business processes have to be so that we can treat borrowers fairly. There's several major components of this, not the least of which is defining what is disparate impact and making sure we get some safe harbors and a good understanding of how that's going to get measured in each one of our audits. But I think another area that I thought was interesting was this concept of today we don't have just one or two reasons a loan is denied. And for those of you who may not be aware, but the action taken guidelines come from ECOA and then Humza translates those into a code that we file in our Home Mortgage Disclosure Act. The action taken and the HUMDA reporting is one of the target areas of audit. Regulators will very often go look at your withdrawn and denied, take that data, see what your percentage is for various demographics, and make assessments based on that. And how do you incorporate now that algorithms now are a big part of the lending decision? It isn't one thing. It's a combination of multiple factors. And how can we retain that we're communicating to borrowers. No one wants to get out of telling them exactly what they can do to improve themselves. How can we make this a loan in the future, but also make sure we can provide enough background that they understand it wasn't just credit, for example. Right. It was a layering of credit and DTI. So we're asking a lot of CFPB. We're asking them to really take a good, hard look. I like the way MBA wrote this letter and many others. U.S. Chamber of Commerce, all different types of entities comment on this type of thing because they all have some way that it may be impacting the businesses that they serve or their state. So I think it was a good set of comments and we'll be watching closely for CFPB to the next level and not just have a soft look at it without making any real meaningful impact for us to be able to implement this in a much better way. I want to watch this closely. Uh, request for information is step one. The whole process can take a couple of years, but it's a good step in the right direction to get the conversation going. Um, so that's where we're at today, Dave, with the RFI on ECOA. All the comments are closed, and now we'll wait to hear back from CFPB. We've got a question from one of our listeners, Alice, asking is many people assume the winner of the presidential election was Biden, but if it gets contested, we find it where he have President Trump in there. I think the core of the question is, what's the regulatory legislative changes that will come as a result of this? Any sense for that? I will tell you that Susan, who is the president of the NBA, right, one main goal is to expand homeownership. Usually yep. the chairman comes in and they have three, and Susan Stewart is focused on just that one to increase homeownership. So I know with the NBA's focus, regardless of the administration, our goal will be to keep this in front. We don't usually see how ECOA is interpreted or any of that be different between whether Democrat or Republican is in office, right? It's just the matter of how much attention it might get during that time and mm -hmm. how much pressure we as an industry can put on to make sure it's on top of mind, no matter who's mm -hmm. in the office, would be my opinion. And I think that's good. We should be paying attention. Expanding home ownership is such an important thing. All that we can do speaking as many languages, doing whatever we can to relate and connect. It's interesting that if you start serving them in a language, you need to follow it all the way through to the end. If you don't, then it could have some consequences. Very interesting. We're hoping that we can get some changes in it as a lender. What other ways can I contract services or, like I said, use Google Translate? Are there things that we can do that yeah. would still help us get there and serve more borrowers? Yeah, it's interesting at the servicing level. That's where it really starts having mm -hmm. a big end.
because that's where the bulk of the communication post-closing happens. So good job. Good report. Got my mind thinking about all the potential consequences. Ever-changing. Thank you so much. They got so many innovative things going up there. I just love what Bill Cosgrove and Al and the team are doing. Great job. And thank you, Alice, for being on the podcast each and every week. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Alan Pollock is here with an update on the tech world. It's good to have you here. What you got for us today? Today, we're going to talk about blockchain Less going on in the news. There's some things, but I think it would be really good just to talk. But I think blockchain is going to be a really big deal moving into next year. Blockchain has continued to increase. And at the Digital Mortgage Conference last year in 2019, not this year, the proof was profounding trust is what blockchain is going to provide to our industry. So we've all been heavily focused on blockchain. And really comes into play because that traditional process we have of obtaining a mortgage, right, it has so many trouble spots, so much manual process. And there is a clear, obvious, and urgent need to improve that transparency and traceability. The big thing is that there's so much happening. So let's talk about what some of those things are. And for those of you that don't know what blockchain is, you should have a better idea by now. But I, I can say you have these digital blocks that contain records of transactions. These blocks are each individual keys. When users transact, they continue to compound on top. So it creates a a ledger, a history of all those items. They cannot be modified. They're tamper-proof. And then, of course, you have something called smart contracts, which the mortgage industry can really benefit from. Self-executing contracts, right? They have limits. that Mm -hmm. The data must fit within those limits, and those smart contracts can move ahead. They're automatic without any human intervention. And this is huge when you think about the document signing process and the capital market side and the the secondary side of our market. So let's talk about a couple quick little things here. Really important is the transparency that we'll get from blockchain, the audit trail. And I bring this up today, David, because as we talk about blockchain, we hear all these innovations, press releases and the news. Blockchain, you know, it's on blockchain and, and we did it with blockchain. What does that really mean? We keep hearing those fancy buzzwords, right? It basically means that distributed ledger is the most important piece. It's a complete audit trail. And every block that's added to that ledger is a snapshot of a data point, which restricts the opportunity for any fraud. It's highly secure. Now it's distributed and there's many folks that distribute that data, but can only be written to one place. And so the more folks that we can get to adopt those distributed ledgers called the DLT for short, the more data we can share. And the more data we can share, what do we have? Quicker verifications, quicker property records, We can remove the need for title. We can eliminate the accumulation of repetitive documents over and over again. These are the things that we're looking at as an industry. So when you keep hearing each of these different vendors every week that we talk about or on these different webinars you join, and everybody keeps saying it's on blockchain, it's on blockchain, everybody's working on these small little universes of their own blockchain, hoping to get the adoption. And that's one of the tricky things is who is going to adopt to each other's blockchain? David, we could create a blockchain for the Lickin' on Lending podcast and all of our show notes and everything in there every week, and there's a record of it. You could never go back and modify it. But who's going to adopt it? It only means one thing to say it's in blockchain, but it's another thing to say that the industry is using the blockchain. So who's doing some stuff, right? Where is this really impactful? We look at 2021. Mismo is really important for blockchain. I've mentioned them a few times. They had a fundamentals and more for mortgage professionals. It's called blockchain fundamentals. And what basically is how the blockchain uh, ledger can be filled with the industry standard MISMO data 
So all of the APIs and the counterparties that are going to integrate together, right, all the people that make all these different systems work together are using that common language. But again, it's not in abundance of we're using the same data that always existed. And each of those ledger entries is an update to the data always in MISMO. That's probably That's something very unique about our industry, by the way, is that we have MISMO. Mm -hmm. A lot of industries are still very disparate. So believe it or not, as much as people think we're behind, we're really ahead. And then, David, other really cool things going on. We talked about Mike Cagney with Figure Technologies. He is building an entire platform. They're currently lending today home equity on blockchain. And they're also moving into other loans. They say they can lend with little as five minutes because they have all that data on blockchain. But that doesn't mean the whole industry is using it, so they need more adoption. We talked last week about the B app. Florida Capital Bank is leveraging this application for borrowers and to be able to get mobile snapshots of your property and be able to actually refinance and do loan calculators and take the entire process from the borrower to the actual signing of the loan, but all on blockchain. We've got the money source. We talked about them a few times on the podcast, right? They're doing servicing intelligence made easy. They've got three patents going for their platform right now. I don't know if they're still pending, if they've been issued now at this point, but they're taking giant steps in the servicing aspect and all the pieces that connect to that, MoneySource is doing great things in blockchain. There's a company called Block66, if you remember. We talked yep. about them. They're doing a full mortgage audit trail for fraud prevention purposes, being able to go completely back to the entire loan from its origination history. And then this is a really good one, David, Canopy. Yes. And it's some folks from the old Clayton Holdings in the early 2000s. And it's a cloud platform. But what they do is they facilitate better data at a lower cost people subscribe to that blockchain, you have that continuous ledger entry of everything that's occurred. So now you look at the changes and you look at what's new, you don't have to redo everything from the beginning. And David, this one, I, I love what Flagstar is doing. Can't say love enough. They've got this FinTech consortium where they bring different startups in. One of our good friends, Home Captain was in there last year, LendingPal, Stavi and Realkey are in there. They're doing things also with machine learning and blockchain and being helped to empower blockchain in the financial institution aspect of lending. There's a company out there called Texan Title. They've adopted something called SafeChain. Uh, another company, this is more on the real estate side called RealBlocks, and they're doing new avenues for real estate investing on blockchain and being able to allow people to interact with those blockchains. And then there's a bunch more. Another really good one is Vermont. Remember, they sold the first property. They're doing a big pilot of blockchain, but they're now they're also looking at other type of government records for Vermont all on blockchain because it's going so well. So we will continue to hear more about blockchain throughout the rest of 2020, especially into 2021. Remember, it's only as good as the adoption. So I suspect throughout 2021, we're going to see some really big players in blockchain yeah. offer some ledgers that people can subscribe to that will really become the centralized database of a lot of transactions. Who knows what the ICE is up to? There's all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff going on. So hopefully that's a good catch up on blockchain and, and what's to come uh, in 2021. Yeah. I think it's something to be paying attention to, especially as more and more people are looking at how to reduce costs and are these services going to be in fact steps towards doing that? And then what's the complexity? It made me aware of this is that just setting up a blockchain, that's one step, but having it be able to be used or shared is the other one that's so important. So Great stuff. Yeah, thank you, David. You bet. Have a great one, Alan. Thank you so much for being here this week. 
Folks, that wraps up this part of our podcast, which is the industry update. Looking forward to next week's podcast. We've got Ted Kramer joining us. He is the president of Innoviant. We're going to be talking about what leading companies, some of the top mortgage companies, largest in the nation, using as technology, the advantage it's creating for them. So really exciting. I'm going to be looking forward to sharing something. I think it's been one of the best kept secrets in our industry is the Innovium product and what it can do to help on pricing. So we're going to hopefully release the secret with that interview with Ted Kramer next week. Folks, so good to have you with us. We're appreciative of our sponsors, Finastra, the MBA, the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, Indicom, Accelerate, Mobility RE, Modex, and a whole lot more. Check out all of our sponsors on our sponsorship page on the lickinandlenny.com website. Appreciate it. So anyway, have a great week and look forward to hearing more from our listeners throughout the week. A lot of the content that we create here that we add or take away is based on our feedback from our listeners. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.